0: for trousers this week <laughs> just so you, uh, I feel like I might regret that if it, if it gets really sunny over the next uh, couple of days uh, oh, a couple of uh, minutes um yeah let's just quickly pray father I just ask that as we uh, look at your word this morning that your word and your spirit speaks to us and and nothing else is heard uh, may this just be a time where you are speaking into our hearts and into our minds and Anything that can be a distraction, Father, just remove it from us and may this be a, be a time where we are convicted and confronted with the truth of Your Word. I just pray this for Your glory, Amen. What really troubles you in life? Uh, maybe one of your greatest troubles right now is dressing for the summer and then getting rained on on the way into church. That's quite troubling, isn't it? Um, or maybe, uh, yeah, there's, there's various things that uh, that could be could be troubling for us. So many possible answers. i tell you what one of my tr- biggest troubles was during this week was uh, about three days ago when Matt texted me to say, oh, i really praying for you as you prepare for Sunday. How are you feeling about starting our session on the Psalms? I was like, what? <laughs> I've spent three days reading John 14. <laughs> what do you mean the Psalms? Anyway, we're in John 14. We can start the Psalms next week. So that was a bit of a trouble. Um, but the troubles in our lives are often very, very difficult. Uh, they're 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 depressing they are there trouble is inevitable in life in fact uh, I think as Christians we would say it is promised to us it's not just inevitable it's a promise from scripture we're going to dive right into our passage this morning John chapter 14 verses 1 to 7 an absolutely amazing passage of scripture do not do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What a passage this morning. Uh, So rich in truth and encouragement. And again, as we look at this passage this morning, uh, it's important that we remember (coughs) the context of where it is written. Now, as Stuart mentioned a fortnight ago, and he's absolutely right, we have a tendency to read little passages or little chapters and read them as kind of discrete entities by themselves. And and that's not how this is written this this is part of a bigger chapter and that chapter is just part of a number of chapters which all come together in one conversation between Jesus and his disciples directly preceding this passage Jesus has just told his disciples my children i will be with you only a little longer you will look for me and just as i told the jews so i tell you now i am going you and you cannot come what a terrifying thought for these disciples their Lord, the one who they had followed for three years, is going somewhere, and he's telling them that they cannot come, they cannot follow Him. What is life going to look like for them? In light of, of this revelation, like this fact, so much uncertainty in the lives of these men. It's probably some sense of immunity or protection from the Jewish leaders and Romans when Jesus was there, but Jesus isn't going to be there. What's going to happen to them? How terrifying. And in addition, Jesus has just told Peter this as well in the previous chapter. He just said to to Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Verily, truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So not only is Jesus going to be leaving them, but some of them are going to betray him. In fact, as we know from the the gospel, they're all going to turn their back on Jesus. It's going to be a hard time coming for everyone in the room at this point. And Jesus knew about it. And this morning, you might be wrestling with a whole bunch of trouble and anxieties and difficulties that you think nobody knows about. And imagine in a room like this of 80 or however many people are here, there's certainly at least one person who is struggling with some real, real hard things in your life. And you might think that nobody knows, that nobody would care, that nobody's interested. Well, may I just say two things to that. Even if people in this room, this, this particular room, don't know, they care. And I would encourage you to find somebody to share your concerns with. If you're really wrestling with hard things this morning, find somebody to share your concerns with. They might not be able to fix them, but you can certainly talk openly about them, and that in itself is very helpful. And secondly, there is at least one person who knows, cares, and can do something about them. And that is our god and our father in heaven here jesus saw the distress and he knew the concerns of the disciples and today god knows whatever problems and troubles and difficulties you have or or the ones that you're about to have and in this context jesus makes this beautiful declaration do not let your heart be troubled you believe in god believe also in me now there's a difference between having trouble and having a troubled heart we are promised trouble it's not that you know that's just life like trouble is just life that's true but if we are living as a god-honoring christian we are in the crosshairs and trouble will find us you don't have to find it but we are given assurances and promises that even in those times we can find peace and i suspect that most people have probably already been there at some point In the heat of battle, suddenly having that reminder from God that he has a plan for you. He is for us and not against us. And that all things work together for good for those who love him. In the same way that we might fear the process of dying, we shouldn't fear death. And we might not look forward to trouble, but actually, even in trouble, we can find peace and assurance and security from God. We can be assured that God is in the trouble with us. And that can strengthen us rather than just help us to survive it and so from this verse just two aspects of anti-worry if i can just bring them out do not let your heart be troubled it's so easy to let our hearts worry and then probably to spiral through a whole range of other emotions into a pet of despair worry I, i propose is something of a passive thing when trouble arrives if you don't take some kind of action, the inevitable outcome is probably worry. We, c- we kind of allow it to happen. And that's what this says, do not let your heart be troubled. It's understandable, worry, uh, probably inevitable, but it can be combated. Worry happens when we leave things unchecked and allow them to run. When we let our hearts be troubled. So what's the flip side? What's the counterbalance to this? Well we're told believe in God. Believe also in me. Believing in God in contrast is not a passive thing, it's a decision. It's a choice, it's active and and we choose to do it. To believe in God is to hear his words and his promises and to choose to accept them. To dwell on them rather than on the circumstances and to bow into God's will. Believing in God is not something that just comes naturally to 99% of people, believe it or not. It's a thing that we have to remind ourselves to do, certainly if you're anything like me. Sometimes I think God allows trouble into our lives to force us into these situations, and I think many of us would probably agree with that. And whilst I don't assume to know God's mind, I think sometimes these are the moments where we find God the closest and the truest, and we're, we're, we're calling out to Him. When life is rosy for me, I drift so easily away from God because life's easy, it's straightforward. So I've got it, I'm in control. But in times of difficulty, I'm drawn back to my need of God. So believe in God, actively do it, choose to do it. It's not just advice. It's a command believe in god believe in me says jesus now before you think oh well rob you must be worry free then i'm, I'm not uh, this is a word of god to me more than it is to any of you i'm not naturally a big worrier i have to say i'm, I'm just i'm to be honest i'm not naturally a big anything when it comes to emotions like i'm just like this <laughs> with emotions maybe a little bit this every now and again but it's just it's just not what i do But I certainly have my moments. There are enough things that go on in my life to remind me that I have troubles of my own. We don't tend to talk about them very openly, but keeping quiet about your worries is a bit stupid, to be honest. So let me tell you some of mine. I generally worry that I just won't be good enough. I worry as a friend. I worry that we'll be very good friends, to people. Last time this happened, I told myself it was never going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else feeling warm? <laughs> I, I worry as a friend that I'll, I'll miss things and I'll miss opportunities. I, I worry that if I was to progress in, in leadership in the group, and you know, I'm part of a, a little group, that. I won't do it very well. That'll make I'll make poor decisions. Quite frankly, uh, I'll be a hindrance to God. I worry that at work, I people will finally realise that I'm actually not very clever, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not very good of a job. <laughs> I worry that as a husband, I won't be very good. I worry, in, in fact, I know. There are going to be times that I'm just going to miss things. I worry that I'm not going to be able to help Sarah grow. That I'm not going to care for her in the way that I should. And boy, do I worry about Micah. (laughs) I worry that as a dad, I'll just not do a very good job. I worry that I'll not be able to keep him safe. I worry that I'll not be a very good role model. I worry about quite a lot of things. (laughs) I used to worry about the shape of my knees. (laughs) That's not why I'm wearing trousers. (laughs) I fortunately grew out of that. (laughs) But, like, that's how I used to worry. I've kind of grown in my worries. Even as I worry, I find comfort in the fact that I am not alone. God knows my situation better than I do. He has plans for me. He has plans for my good. He is there beside me. And you can have faith that when God makes promises, he will keep them. He will keep them to the end. Joshua 21 verse 45 says this, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. It's the same God we have today. 100% record keeping of promises. So, some of his promises for you today. Jeremiah 29 11. These are all famous verses. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Romans 8 and 28. Sorry, it's just, it's, I put them in as an animation. I should have known better. Uh, Romans 8 and 28. For we know that, For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his promise. Jeremiah 1 and 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I pointed you to a prophet to the nations. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your path straight. These are promises from the God who cannot fail in his promises you can hold fast to his steadfastness and his faithfulness today it won't make the troubles disappear but I promise you that you can have a trouble-free heart when you're relying on our God and so what is it that Jesus says to his disciples about their worries and therefore to us too that he will protect them from all harm nope that he will give them powerful allies in their struggles not on earth these however things these things would be nice but they are not the route that jesus is going to be selecting and taking for his disciples remember jesus is an eye for the growth of his disciples for the glory of god and the furthering of the kingdom through the church we are not here for the easy ride as as nice as that would be but apparently it's for our best so what does he actually promise because it's so far better than powerful allies and you know I'll get rid of all your troubles. My father's house is many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. I wonder if you've ever pictured what heaven is going to be like. There are certainly descriptions of aspects of heaven in the Bible. Your streets of gold, a tree of life, a river running through the tree, a city coming down from the heaven, a place free from sin, tears, pain, death. But actually, the specifics of heaven are really quite light in the Bible. I learned this passage when I was growing up as in my father's house are many mansions. I picture my mansion being a fancy lakeside cabin. Barista at the ready. Beautiful gardens that don't die. (laughs) And I'm sure you'd have your own ideas about what your mansion would be like. And the problem is that Pretty much most of that's nonsense. Firstly, this translation is so much better, describing this place as rooms or dwelling places, not individual homes. They're not discrete and separate as houses. They are part of a greater whole. Heaven is a place of connection and community, places where we're beside each other. And we can talk about what heaven would be like. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but let's be clear when we picture heaven, when we imagine and try and describe it and try and kind of conjure up what heaven would be like, we are not even close. If you're anything like me, when you try and picture heaven, you think it's going to be like this, but a bit better. And that's so far off the beat. It's not just like this, but without the sin. I think the two main things that we vastly underestimate in, in, in our relationship with God and in, in the world is how significant our sin is in the eyes of God and what God is preparing for us. 1 Corinthians 2 and 9 says this, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. What Jesus is preparing for us right now, what he promises to his disciples and therefore for us as well is so far above anything that we can picture. It's almost an injustice to try to imagine it. It's going to be remarkable. It's going to be it is indescribable. It's going to be mind-blowing. I think the reason... God doesn't give us much description in scripture about heaven is because language just isn't up to the task not just English any language you might be aware of the allegory of Plato's cave dropping some philosophy in this morning if you haven't cried yet (laughs) Um, it's a concept put forward by Plato in ancient Greece he described this group of people held captive in a cave facing a wall they've never seen the outside world but there's this fire and you can kind of see it represented on one side of this picture um and there's people holding puppets and 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 the 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 shadows are being shone on the wall so these people held captive they can see the the shadows but they can't see anything behind them and plato it's, it's not a description of a real event it's like a mind experiment um and and he supposes that one person escapes and manages to get outside and sees the outside the world and sees reality and, and comes back and tries to describe to these people why you need to escape because out there there's like there's amazing things there's like these shadows are nothing out there it's like that's the reality it's, it's phenomenal and, and Plato's allegory it's all about it's about knowledge and philosophy and it's nothing to do with the bible but we spend a lot of our time looking at shadows and missing the reality When we look at this world and get caught up in this world, when we think about, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, this isn't, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me, and think about our cars and our houses, and what do people think about me, and what promotion am I going to get, and you know, fill in your blank. We are missing the reality. We are looking at shadows. What Jesus is preparing for us is the difference between the real life and a shadow on a wall, He is the master carpenter. He can build whatever he wants. And what he is choosing to build for you and I this morning is going to blow our minds. This is the Father's house. Today, we live in tents. We are tabernacling through a world. This is not our home. But there is a house, a permanent residency for us. Somewhere which will go on to the stretches of eternity. It's gonna be amazing. I think it was Timothy Keller who, who wrote that God has put into us a spirit of homelessness, an idea that this world will never suffice. And and the more we chase after things in this world, the more we realise actually it's not good enough. It doesn't it doesn't like oh I'm gonna get my new iPhone delivered. Like growing up that was like the most important thing in my life for all like and then it comes and ah oh, it's a bit rubbish actually. It's not it's not that good. Because The things in this world were never made to fill our hearts. There's something better, something beyond. Because we have heaven in our hearts, nothing can fill our soul. We need to have our eyes fixed on our heavenly home. And it puts everything else into perspective. And note that Jesus speaks of absolute, like, definitiveness I will come back and take you to be with me. And there's no ifs, there's no buts, there's no conditions attached beyond knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You cannot undo your possession with God. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot have your name erased from the Lamb's Book of Life. No one is going to sell your plot in heaven. You might find yourself today, having spent most of your week sinning, thinking to yourself, "God could not possibly accept me. I am too bad." i've done too much wrong i must have lost my salvation this week of course you are wrong your possession in heaven is based on jesus work and the strength of his hand and nothing else is his faithfulness and not yours john ten twenty eight says this the words of jesus as he prays to the father i give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand come back into relationship with jesus this morning Without fear of rejection or guilt. If you feel like you're far from him, if you feel like your sin has distanced you from, from him, it's only your feelings. It certainly isn't the feelings of Jesus. Come back into relationship with him. Ask for forgiveness. And, and well, your sins are already forgiven, but, but just ask for forgiveness and confess them and, and come back to relationship with him. He is desperate for you uh, close to him, walking beside him. You have nothing to fear about losing your salvation. Your, your future with him is as certain as anything is possible. And may I raise this, this point from this passage. It, it, when you're imagining heaven, if you're imagining, like, imagine the greatest place you can possibly think of. You know, calorie-free chocolate and slimming McDonald's. Beautiful scenery everywhere. You can fly, like, whatever. Whatever your dream would be. If Jesus wasn't there, is it still Heaven? I think it was francis chan who first proposed this question when i heard it and I, I like it hit me like a train because in many respects as times i'd be like eh, that's fine that's fine yeah I'll, I'll have all the other stuff that's fine that, that's heaven that's gonna be amazing and that's that's me missing the point of heaven doesn't matter whether i can play a harp doesn't matter whether there's animals in heaven I think it will be, but it doesn't matter. The total point, the core of, of the point of heaven is that Jesus is a preparing a place that we can be with Him. And if I go and prepare a place, He says, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. It's the core and the crux of our future. To be with Jesus, the rest is irrelevant, it's the place where our Savior is. And if it takes me half an hour to remember that when I'm thinking about heaven, that's on me. It's on my relationship my lord is there my first love is in heaven and that's the important thing that said it is going to be amazing and when we feel the burden of life may i just remind you that this life is just a vapor it is a single note in the eternal symphony of god i think this is why jesus raises this idea of heaven here disciples he says it, it almost doesn't matter what you face tomorrow it doesn't matter what happens next week, it doesn't matter how you die, it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter because when you see me, when you see me in the future, all of that is going to be irrelevant. All of it. Whatever the suffering is, it's going to be like a drifting dream. Now please note I'm not saying that your sufferings this morning are trivial and they don't matter. That and That is not what I'm saying. There are people in this room with incredible burdens on their hearts who have suffered and suffered and suffered and how you're still standing is a miracle and amazing. And, and, and by the grace of God, and I'm not trying to trivialize your sufferings or your burdens today at all, but I appeal uh, as, you, as you think about those and as you're in those moments, just to remember that what God is preparing for you in the future will make it all seem trivial, even though it's not. It's going to be a place where our lord is a place free from tears and sorrow and pain It is going to be amazing and then steps thomas to the conversation thomas gets a raw deal in the bible i like him <laughs> if i was a disciple i would want thomas there <laughs> because i feel like he's the voice of the people he says things that other people are just kind of thinking was him i was doubting thomas i would much rather be called him honest thomas than doubting thomas he's the bold one in the group when when jesus is raised back to life he's the one that says yeah but i want to put my finger in your hands i need the i need the proof when probably the other 11 were saying oh, i'm not convinced about this he's the one who now comes out and says lord we don't know where you're going how are we going to know the way he's the one who probably says what everyone else is thinking i would have been sat in the corner thinking i don't know what is going on here i really wish somebody would clarify this and in jumps thomas and says Lord we don't know where you're going so how can we know the way and aren't we glad he pipes up because it leads to this incredible truth about Christ Jesus answers I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me in a world of uncertain roots and paths we have the way that is Christ Jesus in a world of lies and defiance of what is true we know the ultimate truth which is christ jesus in a world that seems so often to be filled with stories of of death and pain and suffering we have the one who is life itself life out of death christ jesus our savior is the way to god he is the truth of god he is the life from god and i hope you know him today if you haven't met jesus this morning this is him he is the eternal one the resurrection and the life the Lord of Lords, the Bread of Life, Emmanuel, God with us, the Only Begotten of the Father, the Christ of God, the Son of the Most High, the Lamb of God, the Deliverer, the Good Shepherd, the Great High Priest, the Light of the World, the Judge of all of the Earth, the Mighty, Wonderful Counselor, the All-Sufficient, the Great I Am, Jehovah. He is the Way, the Truth, and the Life. He is magnificent. And he invites you to know him. He is the only way. He's the only way to God. And I know that is not a palatable message in today's society and and the world. But if it's true, it's true. If Jesus is the only way, then it doesn't matter what the world says. It just is true. And Jesus has made the way to God possible. He has gone to the cross. He has bore the punishment for your sins. He has taken, he has become our sacrifice. He has taken your place all of your sin has been punished on his body, on the tree, and if you come to him, and if you ask for forgiveness, if you kneel before him as Lord, and you ask, and you repent from your sins, and you ask him just to be your Lord, he is the way to God. He is the way of salvation. He is the truth. He is the life. It's only faith in Jesus that brings salvation. It's only Jesus who deals with the root problem in our hearts, which is, which is sin, it's only Jesus who has taken our punishment on Calvary's cross, it's only Jesus who passed into death, and as we've already sung, thank you for picking that, oh happy day, because Christ is risen again, only Jesus, only Jesus is the way, and if you don't know him this morning, he invites you to know him, he invites you into peace, into security, into a knowledge of sins forgiven, just come and meet Jesus. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him, and I've seen him. Further comfort. I still think many of you probably are like me, still picturing God the Father as this, like God on a throne, tutting away, judging, being really annoyed and angry and irritated. When you look at Jesus, is that what you see? It is not. We see the man who says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We see the one who washes feet. We see the one who heals the blind and the lame. We see the one who brings people into relationship with God. We see the one who loves and loves and loves and loves. And what Jesus says is, if you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What we've read about in the first 13 chapters of of John, seeing the heart of Jesus Christ is the one who steps out in love. We are seeing the heart of the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. And if you think, yeah, Father, God the Father is distant. is he, he, far away. He doesn't know me. He's not interested. That is so not true. Our Father is the one who is close, the one who cares, the one who longs to be part of your life, the one who longs to be with you in the storm, in the trials, in the difficulties, in the troubles, with you in the worries. When you're feeling the pressure of battle, when, you're un, when you feel like the weight of the world is against you, you have a father in heaven who longs to be close to you. And I know it doesn't always feel like that. And it's one of the great mysteries of our faith that sometimes God does feel distant, but that's us pushing him away, not him purposely staying away. And, and God goes one step further. And then th- this isn't part of my passage, this is my, my final point this morning. But we're going into the Psalms. We're not coming back to John until much later on. God is going to also send his spirit to be with the disciples. So I'm stealing a few verses from further in the the chapter. Verse 16, 26, 27 says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, do not be afraid. The disciples weren't going to be left empty-handed. The loss of Jesus was going to be cataclysmic to them. But it was also going to allow the Father to send the Spirit into their hearts and into your hearts if you are in Christ. And let me just say quickly, if you're anything like me, you underutilize the Spirit of God. You're probably scared of him. I was brought up revering God the Father, rejoicing in God the Son, and largely ignoring God the Spirit. We didn't understand him, if you're anything like me. I thought that other churches misused him and the notion of him, and therefore I steered clear of him. The Spirit of God is the closest thing you have to God. Quite literally, God the Father is in heaven, God the Son is in heaven interceding on your behalf. God the Spirit is in you in your heart. His influence, when we allow him to work in us, is to comfort and to console and to draw us close to God. We should not run from him. We should embrace his action in his life. I should embrace his action in my life to comfort me, to give me the knowledge of peace in God in the darkest of moments. He is God living inside me. Knowing my experience, drawing close being my advocate with the Father, he desperately wants to be your strength and your stay, just like he does with me. So does all of this work, what Jesus was saying to the disciples? Well, all of these disciples were about to go through some really hard times, years of hard times. Most of them were about to be martyred for the faith. Can you imagine being John, for example, and just hearing in a letter that yet another one of the disciples has been killed for their faith in Jesus how do you keep going in a situation like that how do you keep going how do you stay faithful and keep running the race well you remember that God has prepared a place for you in glory you remember that God the father knows your situation loves you and has a plan for you you remember that God is interested in your worries and your fears and longs for you to allow him to be close to you And you remember that God has sent into your heart the spirit to comfort you in the darkest of situations. And in this, you're able to keep going. And this morning you may still be really in the pits of troubles. But you can at the same time let not your heart be troubled. Because God has given so much Take 30 seconds, just in quietness, just to think about what is hardest in your li- life right now. And again, no aspect of what anything I've said this morning has been to trivialize anything, because as I say, so, some people in this room are going through some really hard times. And just in these 30 seconds, just bring it to God and just and leave it with God. And ask him just to give you comfort and peace and may the spirit of god give you the knowledge and the joy of god in your heart Pray for us, and then we're going to sing of the great God who is our Father today. Father, there are those here who really know trouble today. I pray for them. I pray that you will remind them of the truths in your words, that you are a God who cares and longs to be close to them in these hard times. I thank you that we have a great and eternal hope of heaven ahead of us, and that this is, a deter- that, and that this is determined and cannot be taken from us. I thank you that our future is based. On the greatness of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and not on ourselves. Give us peace in these truths. Help us to hold on to you in trouble, so that our hearts may not be troubled. You are a great God, and a wonderful Father, and we honour you now, for your glory. Amen.